Welcome back after a very long time to the Women's Cycling Weekly podcast and for potentially the last time for, I'm not going to say forever, but for a long time. Don't cry. We're not crying. Why am I crying Um, on Zoom right now? (laughs) Obviously, that was Tilda, who, yeah, Tilda, do you want to explain what's going on here? Well, basically, I went and got myself a real job not a real job because this was a real job a full-time job where I have to work nine to five in an office um still in cycling everyone I'm going to work for GCN but very sadly means that I'm not going to be involved with Women's Cycling Weekly as much anymore like I don't think anyone can ever separate me and Amy in terms of you know we talk about everything all the time so my influence will still permeate but yeah, you know what? You won't be hearing me on the podcast or hearing from me in the newsletter, and I'm very sad about it. <laughs> I am excited to be doing something new, but it has been so much fun doing this and growing this with Amy, and I I think it's such a cool project, both the newsletter and the podcast. And to be leaving is just very very sad, but that's life, eh? So yeah, this is a little bit of a goodbye. No. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, people probably thought something was going on. I mean, I alluded to it in the newsletter and also, like, this podcast hasn't happened for a while now. Uh, TBD on what that actually means in the future for the podcast. But, yeah, it's just sad. Like, Tilda came on in, what was it, like, at the end of 2021? Mm-hmm. She was my intern, collecting all the news and the bits that I just wanted to palm off on someone else (laughs) and then she got promoted to so what would you call it I don't know so my right hand woman podcast co-host and producer extraordinaire so yeah this podcast in particular doesn't really exist without Tilda so um the newsletter obviously can but it won't be the same uh, but yeah that's the update but we have one final episode to bring you before this chapter comes to a close I'm in denial me too um, this is why we haven't done this for about five <laughs> weeks so we're just both pretending that it's not real yeah, if we bury our heads in the sand, it won't be real. Uh, but yeah, we before all this kind of occurred, we did an interview with American mountain biker Sevilla Blanc, which is quite fitting that we're bringing this out this week because it's the week of the first um, mountain bike World Cup, which she'll be racing. So that's that's your lot. That's the last one. But before we get on to the interview with Sevilla. let's okay wait disclaimer we are not going to run through every piece of news that has happened since the last podcast because we do not have time and it's old news now so 
we're just going to cover the last week. So obviously last week we had the Vuelta, which was won by Annemiek van Vlitten, very controversially, some might say, I think a lot of people might say, um, we stop gate. Did she or did she not know? Or did Movistar know what was going on? Is it Demi's fault for stopping at that point? We could go into it. Till, did you have any opinions? Um, my only hot take is that I th- I think ST Works would have done the same thing, and I th- they Ooh. kind of did try and do the same thing at the tour. Like, uh, Anamik had a puncture on perhaps the gravel stage, and they were still hammering it. So, it's not the ideal way that you want to see someone well see someone win the race slash see someone else lose the race. But but those two teams and their rivalry is 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 a hot one. So I don't I don't think SD Works would have done anything different in the scenario, to be honest. If they had a an attack planned and the race was on, then they would have gone for it too. So can't complain too much, I would say. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the most interesting part of it for me is that without that situation, Van Vluten wouldn't have won the overall and I think a lot of people were expecting like, okay, she had like a kind of meh spring, but like when it comes to the long climbs and the big mountains, like she's been completely untouchable over the last few years, but following was all over her and she's clearly not, either she's not at her absolute best form or Volerin's come to meet her, which I think it's a combination of the two. Um, but it just makes it way more exciting. Like, I'm so looking forward to the tour now because, like, everyone, I think, looked at the tour Malay stage initially and was just like, all oh, right, okay, well, Animix just going to ride away and take, like, 15 minutes. So, I mean, that still could happen, but at the rate things are going, it looks like it's going to be a lot closer, which is always a good thing. And shout out Guy Raylini as well. Yeah, she was incredible, like... We knew she was good, but that was, like, next level, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, to stay with her on stage six. Stage six. And, yeah. I thought that snide comment was a bit much from Anamik about her sitting on. Did you hear that? I, I didn't hear it, no. <laughs> I I can imagine it. I did see a lot of people, I don't know, criticising her for sitting on. It's like, she's 21 on the wheel of the world champion like that's what you do that's racing it literally and also she weighs about 40 kilos wet through so like I doubt she would have really given her much help anyway and like yeah Anamik is Anamik and it, she was probably like breathing through a bomb just trying to keep up with her well she obviously wasn't because she won the stage but like yeah like why would you come through in her situation but yeah Anamik made some comment about like oh she'll have the freshest legs of everyone tomorrow because she had a free ride to the finish basically and it's like, oh, mate. <laughs> anyway. So that was a Vuelta, which I think I wrote about this in the subscriber-only newsletter, but I was quite surprised. I wasn't expecting anything big from the Vuelta. I don't know why. Even on the men's side, I always find it like the most like meh grand tour. But, um, and also like the run with the women's one, like the way the organization had done things leading up to it and just wasn't looking like it was going to pan out to be the best and there were still there were still some dodgy things like the whole knee fisher black situation and calling the wrong winner twice on stage six which was just weird but yeah I actually really enjoyed it and 
yeah bring on the tour we're not even going to say the giro because who knows what's happening at the giro still no clue no clue <laughs> what are the stages i heard a rumor the other day it might be eight stages long i mean literally what? Gonna... yeah i don't know oh, unsubstantiated dear. i might add the giro um, is the giro isn't it so yes yeah well anyways um so yeah after god it wouldn't be less podcast without me saying oh like 50 times i'm not even gonna correct myself <laughs> after the world uh obviously everyone stays in spain and hangs out for the navarro classic the one day race that we had today as we record which is wednesday that was won by Rena marcus after oh i really thought the breakaway with um the whole like the two up break with Ella Harris and Marielle Mayering was going to stick because they'd been looking really strong. But um, Mariana Marcus, I'm going to admit right now that I stopped. I had to go and do something when she, before she actually buggered off. So I don't actually know how it happened. But uh, I think she's been knocking on the door of like another good individual win for a while. She's She's like a slow burn, like what's the word like she's coming into really like she's come up to the top of the peloton like quite slowly that even makes sense you know it it does instead of having like one breakout win she's just kind of always there if that makes sense some riders seem to come from nowhere and have a win but yeah she's been really yeah consistently finishing higher and higher taking a few wins and yeah this was this was a really good one she reminds me a lot of a rider like i mean obviously they're both time trialists but like marlon russa in terms of mm-hmm. the races that she can win because she has a good climb but has such yeah. good power to stay away so yeah i expect to see more of her this year yeah very very true uh so then after that so tomorrow thursdays we've got italy women kicking off it's the next world tour race all the usual well the next round of Demi versus Anamique which could be interesting because I feel like Demi is going to be riding with a vengeance so that'll be a good one um not really news though because by the time this comes out we'll be at least two stages into it but anyway and since we last recorded uh a whole lot I can't remember where we were up to with the Zaf situation in the last podcast but it's obviously been a whole mess but thankfully most of the riders that were caught up in it have now actually found new teams um and some of them found world tour teams so Maggie Coles Lister and Lucy Stannard have gone to Israel and then we just mentioned Marielle Myring who's gone to Movistar have I missed any other like big moves not sure. Obviously, Michaela Drummond had a real big, uh, like anyone who went to a Spanish team had a bit of a faff. Um, having to, there's something to do with Spanish labor laws, and they were blocked from racing the Vuelta, but that's also being resolved now, so that's good. So bye bye Zaf. See you never. Hopefully. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a terrible situation really, but. I think the very unfortunate thing is that a lot of the signs were there from the beginning. Um, anyone who tried to do any research into that team at the start of the year very quickly came up against silence and very weird mm-hmm. information about who the sponsors were and where the money was. And some of the staff involved have been involved in slightly odd 
situations in cycling previously so yeah I think it was I just hope that all the riders uh get along fine and I don't have all that much sympathy for the team and everyone behind it no neither yeah it was given Casa whatever it was called from the start it was given fake it was given Mm. dodgy so yeah that's that finally this is the final piece of news that I'm giving you today because that's where we are in the week uh, the UCI have released some maps and profiles for the World Championships in Glasgow. And it's looking like a punchy circuit, which is kind of what Worlds always ends up being. Yeah, don't you feel like Worlds, it's meant to be different every year, but it's kind of the same every year. <laughs> like, yes. I want a map. Like, when was the last time we proper... had a sprinter's Worlds? Doha? Mm. What, 2016, wasn't it? Yeah. And then even and like Deirdre Innsbruck, said. like, I want like a mountain worlds. I want worlds on like mm. Alpduez. Mm-hmm. Like actual mountains. But it's pretty much every uh, punchy circuit. I mean, fair in Glasgow, we weren't going to get big mountains, but. No. Yeah. So quite twisty as well in the circuit around the city. It's quite technical. So yeah, that's the world's route. I uh, haven't looked into any greater detail than that. But we've got plenty of time. Well, not as much time as usual because it's August, but there's time. So that's the news. And yeah, should we talk about Sevilla Blanc? Can you remember the interview that we did with her? I can't remember much about it, to be totally honest. Um, <laughs> but yeah, for anyone for whom Sevilla Blanc is a totally unknown name, she is an American mountain biker. She's the current American national champion. So if you're watching Nova Mesa this weekend, she'll be in the iconic Stars, Stars and Stripes jersey uh, in the XCA on Sunday. Uh, this is her second year racing in the elites, and she's 23, so still quite young, but she's got a little bit of experience already racing in the elite field. Uh, she's racing for Rock Rider Racing Team this year. And yeah, she kind of came to prominence in the elites after her national champs win last summer and then she did well in the american rounds in snowshoe um and yeah she's kind of part of a real growing contingent of american cross-country riders who are coming up on the women's side so we had yeah a conversation with her about how she'll get into the sport what her aims are for this season and further on and yeah it was really nice speaking to her we always love interviewing off-road riders um so yeah i hope you enjoy the listen and We'll be keeping an eye out for her in Novimesto this weekend. We will. Let's hear from Sevilla. Welcome to the podcast, Sevilla Blunt. How are you today? Thank you. Yeah, I'm good. Um, we were just talking. I just got back to the West Coast from spending three months in Europe. So I'm getting used to the time zone still, but nice to be back in the US for a little bit. Yeah. So, and you were just saying you did a bit of a chunk of time in Europe. Um racing presumably uh how was that good yeah it went super well um I was over there based for uh from January to now um training and then we did some early season racing with the team so it went super good um I just got back from the French Cup in Marseille last weekend uh with the with the new Rock Rider 4 team so it was really nice to just be based over there and kind of just get comfortable in that environment. And then 
you know, put in some really good training and go and race. Um, because normally like as an American racing in Europe, you're always like traveling over there and it's like this huge trip and then you go and race. So it's really nice to be based there and like feel comfortable and then um, kind of race from your base. So. So is that quite a new thing for you? And is that something that you're planning to do more of this year? Spending Yeah, this time. was the second year that I spent some time um, prepping for the season in Girona. Uh, my my trainer is based there. So it's a really good place for, for me to be to prepare for the season. Um, and I love it. I, I love the, I just love Europe. And I, I yeah, I, I hope to spend more time there um, throughout the season. I'm going to be going back and forth for the World Cups, um, spending some longer blocks in Europe, but I'm not going to be like living there full time. Um, but yeah, I hope to spend more time there in the future. Um, it's just a it's a really good environment for me. And and uh, yeah, it's really nice when you can limit the amount of travel that that you do overseas. So is there any reason why you can't why you don't see yourself actually fully relocating to Europe I guess with the with the calendar anyway you're kind of all over the place anyway where, wherever you're based yeah I mean <clears throat> yeah it's a hard balance because like my boyfriend uh, races too so he came over with me and we were just both there for three months and that's like great when we're both there um, but it's a hard balance because you know your family your friends are over here in the U.S. and um, I never want to feel like you know like lonely or um, missing them because I think that as a as a pro cyclist like I'm always on the road and um it's hard to to see your family and friends so so living in Europe um full time like you have to find that balance of of not being um too far from like what's familiar to you but also being in a good environment for you um but it's really nice when my boyfriend comes and it's a great place for him to be to train too so we make it work um but yeah fully fully moving there I'm not sure yet it's it's hard because I uh as as a pro cyclist like I don't really have a, a home base everyone is always asking me like where is home and um I went to school and have an apartment in Durango Colorado um and that's where I spend part of my time <laughs> but I'm also here now in California where I grew up um and then I just spent three months in Girona so I'm like I don't know. Home is in an Airbnb at the most recent race. <laughs> classic pro cycling life, I guess. Yeah, yeah. it's classic. <laughs> um, and just you mentioned obviously growing up in California. How did you end up getting into cycling and getting into mountain biking? Yeah, so I was always like riding my bike with my family. And uh, I grew up with two older brothers. So they were like always going out building trails or pump tracks or some some crazy thing and I was just trying to chase them um and then in California we have a super strong um NICA high school league so when I went to high school uh, I started racing for the first time uh with our NorCal NICA league and that's really how I got into racing uh like more frequently and kind of seeing that it was actually a thing and there were other girls that did it. And, um, that was a really, uh, a really pivotal point in my, uh, introduction to racing. And I was kind of seeing that, like, this is actually, you can, people make a career out of this. And 
uh, I was kind of introduced to the whole sport in that way. Um, so that's how I started. And then I, I was kind of, uh, yeah, slow upward trajectory from there. Um, I went to uh, Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado. And um, I went there after a period of like, I did not know what I wanted to do or where I wanted to, to go to school. Um, but I was really drawn to Durango because of the uh, strong cycling community that they had and the support that they had with the school. So in the end, I went there um, after taking a semester off of school and it was a, a really incredible decision or life-changing decision, I would say. Um, and it really was, yeah, it was amazing to be surrounded by such a strong cycling community there. And that I think just really like challenged me and brought my riding to another level. And um, from there, I was just racing more and more. And uh, yeah, so I like really inspiring, motivating people, so. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask what what is the the biking like in in California? I guess it's well, I, you know, in in the states it's different everywhere. But could you could you have seen yourself staying and training there for for longer, or was was kind of heading somewhere like Durango a really important step to make? Yeah, yeah, the training here is. Um, I'm super lucky. I grew up in a really rural small town um just about like two hours north of san francisco and the road riding is incredible um the roads surrounding me are like country roads now it's getting more popular with with more drivers and cars but um super nice roads to train and then yeah the trails are good too we have a um yeah in marin county um there's a battle between the cyclists and um and equestrians and and hikers and finding a balance between all three so there's some um some struggles there with the with uh trail access but we have some really good regions and sections of of trail so it was a really um great place for me to to grow up and kind of especially in high school with the team and racing um getting yeah introduced to to riding in, in a really good location. Um, but yeah, then Durango, like, uh, there's so many trails in Durango and so many different, uh, like levels. So training, like you have something different for every type of ride or workout. If you need to challenge yourself more, you have like technical trails for that. Or if you need to go on an easy spin, you have a place for that. So it's a really, um, diverse, landscape and a really good place to to challenge and build yourself as an athlete um and also just for me when I went to school like I had friends who were you're you're never you're always riding with people who are better than you and and pushing you so for me that was um super important and helpful to have my group of friends that we would always just we would go out and ride or we would go down to the the desert in the winter just to get some some sunshine um and we'd go on on big rides in Moab or Sedona and uh just be yeah I would be so challenged and I think that my my riding skills really um benefited from that just having people who were better than me um that I could ride with and they were just challenging me so and um when it came to balancing studying obviously you're at college there so first of all what what was it you were studying and how did you get on 
balancing that with training and racing and everything as well yeah good question um I mean since high school I was always balancing that school and training um and in college it became even more important to find that like healthy good balance um I studied business and marketing so it took me a few years again to find what I wanted to study. I went through like three different majors, I think, because I, I have so many interests. And um, yeah, finally, I settled on on business and marketing. And it was really um, good because it, it was super applicable to what I was doing in my career in cycling. So um, yeah, but it was it is always a balancing act. Oh, my gosh, to yeah, to balance training, racing and and school. Um, and so time management, I guess, um, yeah, just being like really aware of, of how, how I use my energy. And um, yeah, I think just, just doing the best I could with school and, and training and not, and trying not to like stress over not making everything perfect because you have so much on your plate when you're a student athlete. Um, and yeah, like, it's a really fine line to burning yourself out or getting sick or um, yeah, just being unhappy. So I think that I was really always focused on like just doing the best that I could. And if things fell through, like letting it go and um, yeah, just focusing on doing your best. So it was always a struggle um, and different times of the year were, were more difficult with racing or, or finals exams or whatever. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a challenge and I actually still have, um, one semester to finish, but I'm taking a bit of a break to focus on my career right now. And do you find that you still kind of need something else to balance against the racing in some ways? I know that you make, um, YouTube videos. Does that kind of help have something else to focus on? It's not just all racing all the time. Um, yeah, I mean, ever since I stopped school, it's actually been super nice to just be able to 100% focus on being an athlete and training and racing. Um, so for me, and I mean, it's funny, I, as soon as I stop school, like my schedule just is still just as busy or more busy than it was. So all of the things that maybe were kind of like falling back I am they now fill my fill my day-to-day -day. so um yeah I definitely don't feel like I'm missing um something or like ever need something to do you know um but yeah my boyfriend and I started a YouTube channel in a couple years ago and we started to do some vlogs um and it's kind of changing now but we're gonna we're keep we're still doing it um but yeah it's been uh it's it's just kind of be for us um and we're still trying to figure out like how it all works and the best way to do it um but yeah it's it's kind of a fun little side thing and and we can both kind of uh bring each of our racing schedules and and calendars into one place and people can follow us so go check it yeah, out I know. <laughs> yeah. we'll put a link in the show notes for people um nice <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know you've talked, actually, you've given a few interviews um, quite recently about both of you being pro cyclists and kind of how you balance that. Um, talk to us a little bit about the dynamic of that and how it works for you guys. 
Yeah. So, um, I mean, we've been racing together all of our relationship basically. So, um, yeah, now, now, uh, Cole, my boyfriend, he is kind of focusing on, um, the lifetime grand prix and more domestic events. And I'm focusing on the world cup calendar. Um, so we are both training. We actually have the same coach. Um, so being in Girona together was perfect for both of us. Um, but our, our calendars now are completely separate. So, um, it really works for us. Like for some people they're, they're like, I can never do the same job as my significant other, you know? Um, but it really works for us. Like we, our training is so different. So we're not really training together that much. Um, but it's really nice when we can, we can go on a, a, a rest or easy spin together or something. Um, we really enjoy that, but yeah, it's, it's definitely different for everybody. Um, but it's really nice. And, and he's a, a super um great mountain biker so when I can train with him on the mountain bike it's it's super beneficial for me um riding trails and and working on technical skills and stuff so that's a really that's really great for me um and I think he he enjoys it too I think um <laughs> but yeah we just kind of find a balance um but our training is super different so we're not training so much together um but yeah, it just works for us to to both be, um, yeah, kind of in the same industry. So, yeah, yeah, that's nice. Um, yeah, I guess let's get stuck into a little bit of racing talk now. Like, kind of what your because I know that obviously, so you're the US national champion. Um, you've just moved to a new team. You've said that you're focusing on racing full time after you um taking a break from studying um first year elite this year so it's quite a big year for you what's kind of what are the goals what's the focus um yeah talk to us a bit about what racing is going to look like for you yeah yeah well it's actually my second year elite um Sorry. but yeah <laughs> I big, can't count. no no you're good no I know um, <laughs> big year because yeah I just joined a, a new team um it's a French team so it's been a, a big change in environment for me. Um, it has a big structure and um, it's been incredible. Like I was really um, nervous for it because it's it's so new. Um, everyone's speaking French and uh, all of that, but it's it's been really good. And it's a super, super good environment for me. And I'm super excited to be to be part of it. Um, I'll be racing, yeah, the full World Cup calendar with them and then some races back here in the U.S. and um, nationals. So it's going to be a busy year. Uh, my my big focus is on world championships um, and we're kind of in this final build for the Olympics next year. So um, focusing on qualifying for that. And uh, yeah, this year, the World Cup calendar is, is so long. I mean, I think it it ends in October. So I, I don't think it's ever ever lasted that long uh, so it's a, it's a it's a long season and um, I've already done a bunch of racing already but I feel like I'm at a really good point and and not feeling like tired at all um, so yeah it's it's gonna be a, a really packed season but for me the focus is on worlds uh, which is later in the year and uh, yeah it'll be a good one and um 
what kind of courses suit you best? What's your favorite type of, of race? I guess, are you more into the technical stuff or the faster stuff? Yeah, for sure. I think I, I always just gravitate towards more technical courses. Um, I love when they're natural tech, like um, Lenzer High World Cup is a really good one because it's just uh, super natural throughout like roots and rocks and nothing really man-made. Um, so I love it when, when the courses are like that. And yeah, I, I definitely think I have more fun um, when it's more technical. I agree about the the one thing that I hate most about XCO is the like man-made courses I remember um Europeans last year it was just this it was like a park in the middle of Munich and they just like <laughs> built some rock gardens and stuff like that and it's just like no give me a forest and some actual challenging things um how does it kind of compare to racing in, in the US like does it feel different the, the the courses that we have out here compared to back there yeah yeah super different um I remember when I was a junior like racing for the first time it was so interesting uh just because the level of competition is so high and the courses are so technical um with like so many features and and just technical aspects that you don't really see on a lot of courses here um it's changing a bit in the U.S. like we have this one U.S. Cup now in Fayetteville um, that is actually in two weeks, and they've really done a good job with the course, kind of bringing our level up a bit closer to what it's like racing in Europe, which I think is really important, especially for the younger athletes to get that experience here. Um, so when they go over to Europe, it's not like super um, intimidating. And for me, I definitely felt that way when I raced in Europe for the first time. Um so yeah, it's it's a it's a completely different level, um, but yeah, it's uh it's super challenging. Yeah, what do you so speaking kind of of the way the the courses are and how racing is in the US? Um, what what's your thoughts on the rise of the gravel scene and how that interacts with mountain biking over there? Yeah, it's incredible. Like the the rise in gravel racing here over the last couple years has just exploded um and now with the lifetime grand prix it's really bringing so much attention to this new this new discipline but also cycling in general in the u.s so i think it's a great change um like you go to these gravel races and there are just so many participants from people who it's their first race or ride ever and uh, to the pros. So it's really cool that it draws such a wide range of participants. Um, and also just for the the sponsors and the brands, like it's a really great networking um, and community building opportunity. So I think it's, it's, it's really good for the cycling industry uh, and community in the US and is really like bringing more attention to it. Um, so yeah, I think it's a great change. And uh, the Lifetime Grand Prix adds uh, three gravel races and three mountain bike races. So they're kind of trying to combine the two disciplines a bit, uh, which is really cool. And um, yeah, it, it's bringing a lot of excitement back to the sport in the U.S., which is super good. Would you ever think about doing kind of or focusing on the series like Cole does or is it definitely the World Cups 
uh, kind of more your thing? Yeah, um, it's really, it's just so difficult to do both. And for me, like my focus is on the World Cups and, um, and XEO. And it's, it's like, it's two completely separate um, engines that you really have to build for, for one, a 60 minute or 90 minute cross country race versus a four or five hour gravel or mountain bike endurance race. So I've done some gravel races last season um, just for fun, like with my XC fitness and um, it went really well for like two hours and then <laughs> I just completely explode. So it's so hard to train for both of those disciplines because they're so different. Um, and so for me right now, my focus is fully on XC. Um, but it's really cool to know that, that that's going on and, and maybe it's a, a pathway for me. Um, yeah. Later at the end of my career. So. When it comes to the different kind of duration of races and stuff though. So for the listeners who might not know the format of the mountain bike world cups is now that on the Friday, there's a 20 minute race called a short track, which is basically just a, all out 20 minutes um sprint usually and then the xc race on the sunday which is 90 minutes and you've gone pretty well at short track so is that something you focus on or yeah um yeah i've had only a few opportunities to race the world cup short tracks um but i really like the discipline it kind of was born in the u.s um so at every xc race here or most of them we always have a, a short track event as well um it's not really something that i train specifically for uh because it's so similar to the cross-country effort except cross-country is just like an hour longer um but yeah it, it's a really nice uh opener too on the world cup weekend because we have short track like you said on friday evening and then we have an easy day and then xc sunday so it's a really perfect way to just like really open up the body and um and race against the the field and then and then we yeah rest and prepare for for sunday well you've also technically won one or a variation on a short track race at the iron horse i was told <laughs> i just read yes, what that yes, is so and i don't understand that at all <laughs> yeah you might have to explain <laughs> what this actually was <laughs> Yeah, so um, so the Iron Horse Bicycle Classic in Durango, it's a event that takes place in the summer um, with a lot of different cycling races happening throughout the week and um, a lot of some fun cycling activities and stuff like that. Um, but this last year, they reintroduced this event called the Roos Master. Um, and it's basically combines short track and dual solemn. So it was on um, kind of this this sloping hill, uh, super like steep climb to the top. And then the downhill is this dual slalom like uh, track. So berms and um, you had two tracks you could choose between and we just do laps. Um, and then the race was broken up into like uh, three different, three different, like three different races. And then the final result was taken from the overall of that um so yeah I was in town last summer and I couldn't not participate in the Iron Horse because it's such a a cool event um and I'm I'm never in town for it so it was rare and 
yeah, it's a it's a really cool race that brought the whole community out to watch. Everyone was just going crazy because it's really uh, spectator friendly. I mean, you can see the entire race from just one one place. So that's super unique and something that is kind of uh, that's sort of how short track is as well. So it's really cool for spectators. That's awesome. That sounds really cool. I feel like that's also the kind of spectator friendly element is true of mountain biking more generally, especially compared to road, which is what we usually talk about. Um, and obviously this year, there's a takeover of like new organization. There's new um, a new broadcast partner for the races, uh, for the World Cup races. Um, don't know if you've like actually put much thought into it or looked at it much, but I just wondered if you had any any thoughts on that change? Yeah, I mean, I think that Red Bull did such a good job the last years uh, broadcasting the World Cup. So I just, I hope that they they do as good of a job. Um, and I really don't know what it's going to be like. I think uh, Banyoles um, race earlier this year was like a test event for it. So I think they had all the cameras up and uh, were just kind of testing all the equipment and everything. I'm not sure how it went for them. Um, but yeah, it's it's exciting. It's a big change. And I think they're going to be broadcasting more races too. I, I saw like maybe the U23s and some some junior racing. So that's super cool. Um, and yeah, I think it's going to be new for everybody. So everyone's going to be watching and, and anticipating it. Yeah, I think whatever you think about the kind of the loss of, of Red Bull, which was obviously quite iconic to a lot of people, I think hope the one kind of thing that would be great to see is the growth of the sport more generally because this is something that we talk about quite a lot between the two of us me and Tilda is how mountain biking has got so much potential for kind of having more spotlight on the personalities on the racing on the whole scene and it's really exciting and there's lots of really interesting people and it doesn't seem to get well it definitely doesn't get the same attention that say road for example does um, but have you have you seen that change? Have you noticed any growth? Obviously, like you're still pretty young and like everything, but have you noticed any kind of yeah, just more interest or growth, especially on the women's side? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um just from my experience, like when I first got into racing in high school, my field was I think there were like 14 girls. Um, and now when I look at the NICA fields, they have to separate the categories because they're so big. Um, I think the, the girls field is like 60 riders at least maybe, um, same with the field at, at national championships for the younger, younger categories. Like there's hundreds of riders now. Um, and when I was a junior, I, yeah, our field again was so small, so it's super cool to see that. And like, that's a direct, ref like I can directly reflect that to when I got into the sport, just, you know, not that long ago. Um, so that's really exciting. And I think we're just going to keep seeing more and more of that. So, yeah. Yeah. It really does seem that there's kind of a growth of um, female XEO riders from the States kind of coming into it now. And yeah, it's definitely super exciting we're not just going to have three Swiss riders on the podium again at the next Olympics. <laughs> there's a, a lot more. Yeah. There's a lot more kind of, yeah, I guess does that kind of help 
motivate you that it's not just you going out alone there's like Gwen and everyone else also there with you yeah for sure yeah the the elite riders right now the the women's field from the U.S. is super strong I think the strongest we've ever seen it I've, I've ever seen it for sure um and yeah I mean it brings a level up for all of us when we are all pushing each other um and and you know racing for a spot so it's it's super good and I think it's uh yeah only only bringing the level up in American racing which is really exciting and when it comes to kind of competitors on the circuit who are you kind of looking at just obviously we know the the favorites but maybe for others who are listening that aren't quite as familiar with some of the names oh my god everyone (laughs) (laughs) um yeah no gosh it's been I mean it's my I'm going into my second year elite so last year my first year elite was uh yeah such a big step up racing racing against everyone um and I just find myself learning so much from everyone uh every race like I'm following the wheels of these of these riders that I looked up to and watched on on Red Bull all these years um and and you're just like learning how they race and how they ride and um it's it's super interesting and always like such a big learning experience every race so it's really incredible um and I yeah I really look forward to every opportunity to race against that level because I think um it just helps me improve so much yeah and and looking towards the rest of the year you mentioned about worlds being a really big target for you but if you had to kind of put um like put a specific goal on it what what will be your kind of definition for success is it top fives or a world cup win or something like that because at different stages in everyone's career is you know for some people a top 20 is what they're looking for but are you kind of looking you know a win a top five what what is your kind of if I do that then this year will be tick that off yeah I mean it's hard because for worlds it's um it's the first Olympic qualification race so uh, top three at world champs is automatic qualification for Paris um but it's hard to you know especially with with that kind of a goal to focus 100% on the result because um yeah I try to I mean for sure I I'm I have result goals but I also try to put some some process goals or or other focus on on the races so um and I think that the most the biggest thing is just to to do my best in every aspect of the race um mental physical preparation uh focus throughout the race like all of that technical riding so putting putting all of the pieces together um and and having a, a yeah my best performance on the day so yeah I guess that <laughs> I don't know if that answers your question but yeah top three um at world champs this year would is an automatic qualification so that's definitely the the big focus nice and so in the short term you're in the states and then you come back for the first world cup is that right yeah which is in May um for anybody who doesn't know and yeah I guess like like we've said we're kind of more or our listeners are perhaps a bit more road focused but for anyone who's listening who doesn't follow mountain biking or kind of is thinking about like they want to but they're not sure 
what would you say to to those people to get them to to just do it to just watch it just follow it it's super exciting I mean I I love following our sport I think uh, watching the races is is so exciting and the results are always mixing up every weekend that somebody else is is on the podium um and at least with Red Bull last year like they did a super good job I think of showcasing the courses um and and just the the technical aspects and the details of the courses so um I hope that we see that again this year and um yeah just just watch it it's exciting <laughs> children I will keep uh advocating for it as well yeah, I was <laughs> just trying to evangelize on this podcast well me more with downhill well, which most yeah, people are like downhill girly. downhill's too far for me <laughs> but I love it it's so good and it's so simple as well yeah you know don't really have to worry about anything with that it's just go fastest that's it um okay I think I think we've uh, we've grilled you enough. We've taken up enough of your time this morning, or this morning for you. It's now evening for us. But um, yeah, it's been really great to have you on. It's been super super nice getting to know more about you and and just yeah. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was super nice to meet you guys. And I didn't know you were based in Girona, so that's cool. Yeah. Maybe uh maybe we can meet up next time I'm in town. Yeah, for sure. Or, um, well, I might see it in a semester, actually, because uh, I'm going to be there. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Sounds good. So, I know you're actually a diehard downhill girly, really. But are you looking forward to Novemesto? For those that don't know, there isn't a downhill race at this World, this World Cup. Um, yes, of course I am. I love mountain biking. My excitement levels will, will be higher for Lenzerheide when we finally have some downhill. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to Novemesto. I think it's a relatively later start than we've had in the last few seasons to the calendar. So I'm kind of like itching to go and everyone's been racing already in the HCs and Super Cup. And we've had a couple of last minute um, pre-World Cup rounds this weekend just gone. Um, so yeah, I'm super excited, I think. It'd be really cool to see a lot a lot of riders, especially who've kind of come back, like Evie Richards is racing full time again, um, and took a win at the weekend. So yeah, I'm super excited. I think the women's cross country is just getting stronger every year. So I'm really excited to strap in for another one. It is. It's getting a lot stronger every year and it's gonna get some more strength. What am I saying? It's gonna get some more power in the form of former podcast guests. Hawk Peters, who's racing the elite races this year after being under 23, after racing under 23. She's still under 23, but she's racing the elite World Cups this year for the first time. So I'm really excited to see how she goes. Definitely not biased, but there we go. Um, Yeah, and just as a, an aside, if people don't know, um, the broadcasting rights have changed this year so if anyone was used to watching it on Red Bull TV last year it is now on GCN which I actually think like probably most people that listen to this podcast and watch road racing or at least in Europe I'm not sure about other places will likely have a GCN subscription for that so if you've already got a GCN subscription and you've never really watched mountain biking before you'll have access to it by that so get stuck in yeah, and there's there's more coverage than ever. We're actually going to see 
the under 23 races and yeah there'll be highlights of all the races which will be free to watch over on the uci youtube so if you haven't got into mountain biking already why have you not been listening to us for starters but secondly <laughs> it's a great year to do it it's there i think they are really trying to expand it and look we, we have our own reservations about how that's going to go but yeah there's going to be a lot more attention on it this year and it will be a great time to get into it ready for olympics next year yes okay oh i don't want to end this podcast oh me neither we're bad at ending podcasts anyway but this is even worse today so we don't i don't want to get too, too heartfelt as well because i will actually I know. no we don't do so. earnest no do we? no and you're not actually going anywhere we still whatsapp each other every single day so <laughs> but for the listeners this is the last time they're gonna hear your dulcet tones for a while yeah maybe i'll Very come sad. back as a guest or something you can come back as a guest can you not yeah I'm gonna... yeah yeah okay that's good it's see it's up. not the end i told you it's not the end. why does it feel like i'm dying <laughs> it does a little bit yeah yeah everyone sign my goodbye card please <laughs> yeah i'll do a whip round <laughs> buy a leaving gift thanks thanks yeah always got the best hr here you can't complain i mean you could you i'm not allowed <laughs> no, you're not allowed because i am hr <laughs> um anyway i guess we should actually end it because there's nothing else to say we're just gonna keep dragging it out so all there is left to say is i said i wasn't gonna get in this but this is close i'm gonna get it's just thank you for being part of this for the last 18 months or however long it's been and starting the podcast with me and like elevating the newsletter and yeah just it's not going to be the same without you so thanks Tilds. thank you for having me and thank you for all the listeners and all the readers it's honestly been the best part of my job for yeah as long as i've been doing it so just thank you for being part of it no <laughs> i'm so sad okay we need to end it otherwise i actually will cry yeah thanks for listening and check the show notes for newsletter details etc etc you know the drill bye bye